So yesterday, I set up in the studio to talk with Daniel Carrier, who you just heard. He is the lead guitarist and vocalist of Royal Tusk. The band is setting off on the Sirius XM Octane Accelerator Tour, which starts off today, January 23rd, if you're a time traveler and wondering. They will be playing The Parish at House of Blues in Anaheim, California, and the tour wraps up February 23rd in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin at Stormy's Music Venue, with 18 shows crammed in between. They had just got out of their hometown of Edmonton into the much warmer Californian climate when I called in and bonus ended up talking with Daniel as well as bassist Sandy McKinnon, guitarist Quinn Sarankiewicz, and drummer Kalen Stuckle, all four members of Royal Tusk. So we jumped right into their newest album, Tusk 2, which came out last October, because if you are one of the over 10 million people who have streamed it on Spotify when you were not listening to 101.5 The Hawk, you have probably listened to their earlier work on Deal Breaker and the EP Mountain and noticed that their style has transformed. So what prompted the change? Primarily, you've, you've said that you kind of wanted to remind people that uh, rock is supposed to be about loud guitars and really rocking out. Do you feel like there was a, a stigma against that sort of music? Or what, what was it that clicked in your head that made you think, we really need to do this with Tusk too? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not just doing it to make a statement. I think um, we really wanted to play rock anyways, personally. But to answer your question... Um, yeah, there might have been a stigma. I, I just feel like people got uninterested with rock music because it became more watered down, watered down the way, you know, top country music is where it's just following a formula and it gets boring to listen to. So, you know, and you see on the alternative rock stations, which is cool, you know, um, where, where, you know, there's more hip-hop influence and this and that. But on, as far as the rock side, you know, we're hearing... Uh, it was really like jangly music that I wouldn't necessarily call rock and more like tampon commercial stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, like a little more, a little uh, uh, softer, uh, I think it would be fair to say. So I'm not saying, hey, I'm not saying that if it's jangly, it's bad. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying like sometimes you want to, like can you imagine when Appetite of Destruction came out, what that would sound like on the radio, you know, for that being a new, like new music and then we weren't hearing a new rock band come out that was exciting us. And that that's the thing. So, you know, we were like, whoa, we play guitars, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, well, you took the responsibility into your own hands. That's excellent. With, uh, I want to talk about your uh, your single, Aftermath, that uh, you released. Uh, get everyone kind of warmed up to what was coming with Tusk 2. Uh that song does seem to be you, you does seem to be a little more focused on a on a message on an opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're as much as making a statement. We were just trying to put a question out there. Like, are we okay with this? Is this is this the type of people we want to be? That um, just like violence is just a a chill thing that we can we can um, you know uh, consume. Um, as from an entertainment standpoint all the time and uh, let it kind of infiltrate the way we live our lives. Mm-hmm. So and at the same time, accept it too, you know? It's like, if that's now the norm. How did that come about? Was it more of a, a conscious uh, development? I mean, obviously, I think a, a lot of people are feeling things unconsciously under the surface. It's bubbling up in all sorts of artistic expression how, how did you come about creating this song though was it more you you had the music first and you had a feeling that was going with it or was it more of a conscious process of i want to write about this specifically and here's how we're going to approach it i think i think we all um maybe kind of felt like that under the surface and it came out naturally you know um 
me and the mates, we all think alike. And I think, I think it was going to be said at some point on the record. Um, you know, and to say what the catalyst was, you know, when you go a year and the flagpole outside the courthouse or outside the school, that half mass for the entire year, because people are shooting people at concerts and shooting people on the street, you know, um, you just start thinking, what, this is just normal? We're all okay with this now? And you get furious. I don't have the answer, but I get pissed off that it's just that Fox News and, and, and CNN and everybody are just selling fucking commercial over it. So, you know, we can't solve the problem, but we at least, if we're contributing to what's in the, in the, in the space out there, we wanted to say something. At least just bring it to attention that, hey, we give a shit. Again, I, I'm, I'm hearing a responsibility coming, uh, coming from you guys. What was then the, the process that went into the song? Sorry to drag back to that, but it is interesting because with all these emotions, a lot of people feel things like this, and then, and then to turn it into music's always the intersection of, of intellectual writing and, and pure emotion being poured out through instruments. How, how did it all come together for Aftermath? Oh, super organically. Um, do, you guys, do you guys recall how the, how the whole thing went down? Not really. I, I remember, like, you came up with the riff, and, like, right when we heard it, it, the whole song sort of started to fall together once we all got together. I came up with a riff and the verse, mainly. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, brought it to the band, and we worked on it. Kaylin attests that we had a huge conversation about the word aftermath, which, which was which probably permeated kind of like the, um, the uh, what do you call it, the nucleus of the song, and it, it was the perfect um, nugget to um, tie it all together. Is that how a lot of uh, the, the rest of the songs, again, Aftermath came out, kind of prepped people for what to expect in Tusk 2. Uh, how were, was that pretty much the same process for a lot of the, uh, the rest of the music that uh, you created for that album, or was there something different yeah. about it? Well, you know, whenever any of us had written a riff, it's cool and all that, but if you try to flesh this whole song out entirely on your own, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't have the magic that, that uh, when, you know, when we put it in the jam space and we play it, we start sweating and, and really getting excited about the tune, um, what that does, and it transforms the song. So, yes, you know, we don't want to write the full thing and then just record it. It's all about getting together and playing it like a band's supposed to. And that, that's really where the magic comes out. I'm talking with Edmonton's Royal Tusk, headed off on a huge tour starting today. We already talked about their newest album, Tusk 2, and its heavier, louder rock and roll sound, which all raised this question. How do you feel about your older music then? How do you feel about the music off of Mountain and off of Deal Breaker? You know, I think it's really cool. I just think we're better at what we're doing now. Um... We, you know, when we started, it was as simple as like, hey, we just want to be a band, and uh, and you know, we're kind of searching through all the types of music we like. You know, like just because we're playing hard rock doesn't mean we don't like Elvis Costello or or uh, ELO or something. You know, so so we went through those processes of of the indie rock kind of thing and uh, into your kind of like um, '70s revival a bit on. Mount, excuse me, on Deal Breaker, I think we're happy to have done that, but coming into writing Tusk 2, you could just tell by how easy the writing was getting and how much fun we were having that we were on the right track. It, it almost felt like we, we, we've kind of solidified our identity on, on Tusk 2. 
whereas the first two uh, records, and I'm super proud of them. I love the way they sound. It's just, it, to me, it sometimes can sound a little bit like we were trying to figure it out still. Yeah. Um, my buddy from, uh, used to play in the Matthew Good Band, call, called me and he said, you sounded like genre tourists before. <laughs> He's like, I think you've nailed it. And uh, um, although it was a little cutting remark, I, I got his point, and I agree, actually. Time to return to my interview with Daniel, Sandy, Quinn, and Kalen, the band Royal Tusk. They have grown into a louder form of guitar-driven rock music than we might be used to these days, but how wildly different from that style can their tastes in music be? We were about to find out, and I had them identify themselves with each answer so that it is all clearly on the record. Okay, okay, so Kalen, you want to start? Oh, man. Just anybody. Well, as far as new rock bands go, I really like uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I think that they're, they're pretty cutting edge as far as, um, you know, new rock and psychedelic music goes. But as far as maybe more um, of another prog band goes. He's already breaking the rules. He's already breaking <laughs> the rules. Guilty pleasure. One, Guilty one. pleasure. No, keep on going. Who cares? Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I've also been listening to a lot of, like, 80s Japanese yacht rock, too. So it's wow. kind of just whatever. Yeah. Okay, for myself, this is Dan. Um... I've been listening to a lot of Medeski, Martin, and Wood recently, which is kind of like a jazz trio. Uh, and um, I'm always, always going to be putting on uh, Michael Jackson. Like, that's always going to happen. This is Quinn. Yeah, I'd say lately I've been listening to a lot of, like, Top 40, like Ariana Grande. Record has been getting tons of spins for me, so I don't think people would maybe expect that. Got you moving side to side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I listen to like like a, tons of metal. So this is Sandy. This is Sandy, by the way. Yep. Uh, I like I like like for current stuff. I really love Mastodon, but and I can't really quite nail down a guilty pleasure. But I can safely say I love top forty pop music. But just for, just and just for an honest, um, okay, like when I just really think, okay, we're in the bus yesterday and we listened to. Um, we listened, what prog rock were you listening to? Uh, we were listening to Born of Osiris. Born of, so we listened to Born of Osiris yesterday. A lot of instrumental guitar-driven stuff, like Queenie, yeah. Intervals, Polyphia. So, so you're, Polyphia. you're kind of like progressive metal rock. And uh, we listened to the, like eight songs on Moby Play. <laughs> 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 and we also listened to Enigma. Do you remember that song? Uh, Return to Innocence? Yeah. Well, that was <laughs> Dan was dri Dan was driving the bus, and he wanted to drive me nuts. And this is Sandy speaking, because he knew growing up, my dad fucking loved Enigma, and he would he would routinely get up at like seven in the morning. This is his dad, not me. Yeah, not <laughs> my dad would get up and like pin the stereo while he was listening to that dog shit. And even as a kid, you know, he'd be waking up with your old English hangover, and you're sitting there like sweating, and you can't believe that this song is giving you a goddamn anxiety attack. <laughs> Something about Enigma is, still gives me PTSD, I think. <laughs> all right, all right. So, so that's not necessarily your guilty pleasure, but maybe the rest of the band's torturing you with it. That yeah. could count. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean, where, I, where, where we derive pleasure is, it might be different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, love to, I love to bug all the guys so they love to make, see me sweat. But, you know, having said that, there's, there's um, value in all music. It's either what you want to do, what you don't want to do, and even if you don't like what that sounds like, you might like the feel of the song. You might like the melody. Yeah, and also I was going to say, too, like I don't know if uh, 
if I'd even want to call them guilty pleasures. Cause, I mean, I can admit that I think the Spice Girls have great music. You know, it's not. I don't feel guilty about it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe sometimes if I'm listening to Creed, maybe I'll feel a little guilty about it. But I still think some of those are jams. <laughs> I don't think you should feel guilty. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you're missing out if you can't if you can't use every listening experience as a as a uh, learning tool. Totally. Uh, we're going to wrap things up in just a minute here, but I wanted to ask, uh, you're about to head out on tour. That's why you're in a much warmer part of the world right now. Uh, it's the yeah. Sirius XM Octane Accelerator Tour, and you're out with, uh, uh, Like a Storm and Afterlife. What do you, what do you bring to, to a stage when you're playing in front of a live audience? How is that different? How does it change how you perform? It's funny you said that. I was thinking about that. Uh, I think... <laughs> I was thinking, like, I think you try harder. <laughs> you know, like, I was trying to, like, think, okay, what really is the difference between rehearsal and play? Well, um, it's, it's, like, it's literally, like, shots of steroids or like, or, like, some sort of drug. You get out there and you feel superhuman on the stage, you know. Um, jam is fun. You're thinking about the music and, and, and playing tight and everything. But the, 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 on stage is the payoff, and it, it's the... Um, it's um, the kind of cathartic experience where all that you've worked for, what it's all about. You know, you write these songs. What are they for, man? They're for to play to that person. You can see their face. It's kind of what binds us all to doing this is, is the, the excitement for being up there. And so I like to think that that, extra, that little bit of extra mojo brings something special that everyone takes away. My thanks to Daniel Carrier, Sandy McKinnon, Quinn Sarankiewicz, and Kalen Stuckel for taking time to talk on 101.5 The Hawk. They have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the ways you can keep up with them. And go to their website, royaltusk.com. Check out their tour dates. They are playing everywhere, pretty much. If you're listening in Europe, and I know some of you are, they are on the way. But right now, they are covering the United States starting today on the Sirius XM Octane Accelerator Tour. And you do not have to wait until they are nearby to hear them, because this is the 21st century, and you can stream them, buy their albums like Tusk 2 online, or listen to them right here on the Willpower Radio Show on 101.5 The Hawk.